relationships. Our lives revolve around them. Family, friends, work or romance. They are complicated and messy. And don't always work out like we want. God made us for each other. Maybe he can show us a better way to be together. This is not your average relationship talk. Thank you guys for coming out into the series. Uh, this evening we have something quite exciting to talk about. Um, so when I was a teenager, um, I grew up in church. I was in church most of my life. And uh, when I was a teenager, we'd often do like these big summer camps where you'd go away and you'd have like, you'd hang out with all your friends and they'd bring in some speaker that was really kind of cool and hip, cooler than your normal youth pastor. And they'd do this big talk and they'd share all these things. And I remember one youth camp specifically, this one speaker got like real charged and hyped up about wanting us to start praying for our future spouse. And so they would say to all these teenagers, hey, look, it's important that you right now start praying for your future husband or for your future wife. And of course, all of us are like hormone-infused teenagers. So someone's like, oh, we can think about sex. Okay, I'm going to do that. And so we all just start thinking about our spouses. And it was, this, it was this huge thing. And so for a while, that's what I did. I thought, oh, I'm going to be real spiritual. I'm going to sit every day and I'm going to pray for my future wife. And it's going to be really good. And then when God brings her, it's going to be just amazing. And now for me, it, worked, it did work out that way. But even then, when I remember praying and thinking that way, I thought, but, but what if it's not that simple? Like, what if it doesn't work out that easily for me? What if, what if like the one is there, but then she dies in a car accident and I never get to meet her? Or what if the one is there, but she doesn't like me? And then my future wife is like, oh, he's ugly. <laughs> this is no good. And it kind of raised this huge, ten huge tension within me that I suddenly realized that maybe some of you guys sense and feel here as well. We have a lot of stuff about marriage and relationships, but there's also the realization that for a lot of us, it doesn't work out as simple as you just wait, you see her across the room, sparks fly, and then you're married in six weeks. Like sometimes it's a bit more of a longer drawn out process. And so tonight we're going to be talking about the nature and the role of singleness within the church. Woo! One single person is excited. And the rest of you are like, don't commodify my story for cheap sermon illustrations. Um, so uh, starting off, I, I do need to address the elephant in the room. Um, there is a sense of irony for me in talking about singleness as a man who got married when I was 23. Um, so I was quite young when I got married, and Haley was the first woman that I ever dated. And so when I met her, we started dating. And so for me, my relationship story is going to be very different to a lot of your stories. So when we're going to talking about singleness tonight, there's a few things I'm not going to be doing. Um, because of my story, for those of you who have been single longer than I have, I can't speak into your life or your experience. And so tonight, I'm not going to be telling you how to live with joy as a single person or enjoy the gift of celibacy, which you think is probably, may think is probably more of a curse and would like to say curse words at anyone else who calls it a gift of celibacy. Um, but hopefully, rather than telling you how to live your experience, if you are single here tonight, what I want us to do instead is address the situation, which is what this whole series is addressing, which is relationships in a wider context. And specifically, how do we in the church relate to those who are single. 
Does that sound good? Hopefully there's a bit of honesty so no single people are like, yeah, get a load of this guy who can have sex telling me how to live my life. Um, so, we're just going to go there. You guys got you to come with me, all right? You're either going to lo- love it or lose it. Um, so I was, in doing prep for this, uh, I was looking at some of our 2013 statistics. And uh, how, within the Bay of Plenty, what do you reckon the percentage is of single people versus either coupled or married people? Anyone have a guess? 30, okay. 16. 60. So 60 single people to 30 married people. All right, 40. My math's not a strong suit. All right, let's not judge here. Um, I was fascinated when I went through 37%. In the 2000, <laughs> one guy's, one guy's stu- choked, stuffed up right there. Um, 37% is the statistic of how many single people would be here in the Bay of Plenty, which to me is fascinating. Because I think sometimes we have this perception that it's mostly just all these couples around, and then there's just a few single stragglers mixed around. But the truth is, it's this huge, I mean, that's not really a minority, that's nearly half of our population would be single. Which is fascinating too, when you begin to think about what that might look like for here, for us in the church, I reckon that stat isn't that much different for us. And again, when, you looked, when I broke down these numbers and looked at all the different kinds of people, um, singleness isn't just like one type. It's not just people who've never been able to get married. And singleness isn't like a fixed state that you are stuck in for your entire life, but it's actually quite fluid. And you have all kinds of different people who end up in that state that we would call single. So you've got, you have people who've maybe never been in a relationship. You'd have people who were in a de facto relationship who separated again. You'd have those who were married and then got divorced. Uh, You'd have those who were widowed and lost their spouse at many different sorts of ages. You'd have single people who have kids. You'd have single people who don't have any kids. And then you'd have uh, a few people who you'd call intentionally celibate. Um, Now, this wasn't in the statistic, but there are a few people within the church who would say that that is their role. Or perhaps uh, for some Christians who would also be same-sex attracted as they're working out what it means to follow Jesus' guidelines around sexuality in the scriptures, some have chosen to live in this manner. And so to me, this is fascinating, isn't it? Because all these sorts of people are going to experience this state of life so very differently. And what may feel like singleness to someone who's 18, just left high school, is going to feel very different to someone who lost their spouse in their 50s. And what singleness looks like to someone who has chosen to be celibate will sound very different to someone who is in their mid to late 30s or early 40s, who has wanted a spouse their entire lives and has never been able to find one. And so you find this very, very tapestry of all kinds of different people mixed into this one label that doesn't seem to fit because all those experiences will be very different. For some, singleness will be something that they really enjoy, a stage of life that they like having that essential movement of freedom. Um, for some, it'll be like a weight around their neck as they've whole lives been looking for that sense of relationship or intimacy, and they haven't been able to find it. And so you had this huge, varied group of people. And so for me, when I thought about that, there's a question of, if we have all these different types of people, how does that work for those of us in the church? And how do we relate that well in the church? Because if I'm honest, I don't think we're particularly good at it. Um, I mean, how many many, uh, marriage seminars can you think that the church has run? 
coaching for parents, coaching for married couples, spouses that can get together, marriage counseling. We have heaps of courses all run like that. Has anyone ever heard of a singles course at a church? Or how do you live the single life well? In doing research for this, it was hard for me to find, I was looking through sermons. I couldn't find hardly any sermons on singleness, but I found thousands and thousands and thousands of sermons based around marriage. And I think within us, it can be this blind spot that we have in the church if we're not careful. Um, it was quite fascinating. There's, a, uh, there's an academic journal uh, called the Pacific Journal of Baptist Research. And it's, uh, it's an academic journal that looks at all kinds of different scenarios here in a local context here in New Zealand. And all kinds of university professors and master students and doctor students will write and add into it. And in the one that was released in May, they had the most fascinating article. It was written by uh, some people here in New Zealand that looked at the lives of single female pastors here in the Baptist Union of New Zealand. And it was, a journal, it was an article that talked about their experience, what life was like for them, because they were such a, a minority. Within a couple hundred Baptist ministers here in New Zealand, there were less than 10 who were single and female and were in one of the main pastoral roles in a church. And so it was fascinating as they began to share their stories. And as I read through this article, my heart kind of broke as they kind of unfolded and made me realize how much we maybe don't do singleness that well in the church. So for these women, uh, when they were training, even when they began training at theological colleges, they found it incredibly difficult. Because most theological colleges, if you're training to be a pastor like myself, the large majority would be male, and almost all of those males would be married, and a large majority of those would have kids. And so when these uh, colleges do all their training, they have heaps of training for how to do ministry life as a couple really well. There's all kinds of sessions devoted to how to parent well as a pastor, how to be a good husband, how to be a great pastor's wife. There were all these different things. But for these single female women, there was really nothing dedicated to helping them understand what it means to be a minister who's also single within our Baptist Union. And when they began to express some of their difficulties and some of the challenges that they faced, what they found was a lot of their classmates and often their teachers would often almost trivialize their experiences, being like, oh, well, you're single. You can just do whatever you want whenever you want, right? It's no big deal. You'll, you'll get over it. Here's the pastors who've got a lot of hard work and so many responsibilities as a family. And so in training, they found it quite hard. And then when they graduated from training, they went to go look for a call at a church. They would go around and they'd talk to different church committees that were looking for a pastor. And there they found it so incredibly difficult. Some of the questions that they were asked in their hunt were just, I mean, just shocking, really. I mean, they had church committees that were asking them, um, well, as, as a single female, how are you going to be able to preach or lead without leading all of the single males in our church to lust after you? How do you answer that question? Um, I'll wear a burqa? I, I, like, <laughs> how, do you, how do you respond to that? Um, there were all kinds of questions about, well, if, you, if you're our pastor, uh, will you be able to do any pastoral care for any of the men? Or, you know, if you listen and pray for them, will they just think that you're trying to hit on them? To which I'm reading that and I'm thinking, yeah, because every woman minister just wants to hit on whatever sobbing guy comes through her doors. Like, not every guy is that attractive that the girls immediately are like, I'll go for him. Um, and I don't know why every man assumes that they probably are. Um, 
And so there was one specific story of a girl who she looked at going into this church and the church was like, hey, this could work really well. And as they were move, moving forward, the church gave her a call and said, hey, I'm sorry, it's just not gonna work out, we're really sorry. We've actually found someone else who we think will fit this role really well. Turns out that someone else was a married male. Now, that married guy said, nah, actually, I can't do it. So the church, with their tail between their legs, got back on the phone to the single girl and said, actually, we think this could really work. Would you give us another chance? And she's like, oh, yeah, I can understand that. I'll give them another chance. So she kind of engages back in relationship with this church. And as she's going through the process, she gets a call from the church saying, um, hey, we're really sorry about this, but we've actually found another candidate that we think will work better. Guess what that candidate was? A married dude. And she was like, ah, oh. she's really gutted at that point. But she's like, well, at least, you know, that's fine. We'll move on. Until she got a call again saying, um, actually, turns out that married guy had said, no, this isn't the church for us. So the church called her back a third time and said, actually, we think you could be really good. Would you consider coming down? And this girl's like, what, what do I do with this? And so finally, one last time, she said, yeah, look, all right, we can, we can try this one last time. Until no joke, she gets a call that says, um, sorry, we found someone else. Guess who the someone else was? A married dude. Another one. And turns out that married dude also said no to this church. And for a fourth time, that church tried to call the single woman back and said, hey. <laughs> At which point, I mean, the article doesn't go into specifics about whether she said no politely or just said much more firm words, but she clearly said no, because no, what, who wants to be like sloppy fourths for a church that's just trying to get another guy, any, literally they're looking for any other guy who's got a ring on his finger to fill that role before her when she's been faithful there the whole time. And then it talked about some of the experiences of women who were finally in the pastorate. So a church had finally agreed and said, yes, we think you're the right person for us. We think you would be great as a minister here at our church. And they told some of the stories of what it would be like. Some of the women would say very often, once they finished preaching, they would get down from the stage and they would have often the same one or two people come and say, oh, I've been praying for your husband this week. And they're like, um, thanks? Didn't didn't think I needed one to do this job, but thank you. She would have other, uh, other people would come up and literally say these words to her. Oh, you know, I mean, we're so happy that you're a pastor, but you know, I, I don't think anyone can truly experience or understand the love of God until they're married. Like you'll never just know that great love of God for someone else until you're a married person. Or someone else often said, you'll never even know what love is until you have a child of your own in your arms. Can you hear what this language is communicating? Can you see what a single pastor, a single person in the church might feel when we use language like this? And even if there was any positive reactions, any positive things to, hey, you're single, it was usually couched in, wow, I can't believe you have the gift of celibacy. It's just really impressive at how holy you are living out your life of kind of devotion to Jesus, choosing not to, to be married. And again, all these women are like, 
I've never talked about my romantic relationships once. How do they just assume that I have this gift of celibacy that suddenly makes me holier than everyone else in the church? It's fascinating, eh? It's, if you want to read the article, come find me afterwards, because it is just mind-blowing, their experiences and their stories. But one of the key phrases that they used in the outcomes, talking about how do we move forward after this, one of the key phrases they kept saying was, the church needs to learn how to let go of the idol of marriage and understand what it truly means to be the community of God. Because in that, they found so much more hope. Now, there's a few things that we can probably look at tonight that lead to some bad conceptions about marriage. Um, a lot of them come from Paul's writings in Corinthians. Uh, in Corinthians, there was this group of people that were having these massive debates about whether married couples should have sex or married couples shouldn't have sex, and who's the more holy? Are you more holy if you don't have sex with your spouse? Are you more holy if you do have sex with your spouse? And this was their whole debate. And so Paul writes this letter to them trying to address some of these issues. And in this conversation, he said something which I think has led to one of these big confusions, which is that if you're single, then you probably, or there are some people who have this gift of celibacy, a, a special, unique call for which God has called them to be single their entire lives. And it comes from this verse in Corinthians where Paul, speaking to this community, says, look, I wish that all of you were as I am, meaning single. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. And from this verse and a few others, the church has developed this weird thinking that some single people just have this one amazing, unique call to be celibate their entire lives. There's only one small problem with that. This, the same phrase that Paul uses as the gift, the gift that some single people might have, he uses that same exact word for gift as in the gift of marriage. So in Paul's writings, he's saying you basically either have the gift of being single or you have the gift of being married, which by my reckoning covers pretty much everyone, right? That's, that's pretty much the entire populace really within that scope. You're either married or you're not married, and each of you has a gift to be that. See, what Paul is trying to do is make us realize that just because you're single doesn't mean that God is this call on your life that you have to be single for your entire life. And it's breaking out of that mold to realize that some of, some of you who maybe have been single a long time have been wondering, oh, maybe God's just making me a, to be a celibate person and that's how I have to be forever. Is that, is that my calling? Is that my gift? Well, truth is God's picture is so much bigger than that. Each of us are called to something. Some of us are married. Some of us are single. But in each case, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in and whatever phase of life we find ourselves in, whether we're single for a while and then we're married and then through some circumstances we're back to single again, Paul is saying in whatever state you are in, serve and love God. Serve and love the community. And so to this next bit, then Paul goes on further. And for a lot of us, again, for the church that has, often has this idol built up around marriage, like single is just for a few select people who are super holy, but everybody else should attain this wonderful goal of marriage. If you read on just to the next verse, you begin to see a whole lot of pushback against that. In fact, Paul says, now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, look, it's good for them to stay, married, stay unmarried as I do. 
But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, that's far from this grand call that all of us will be in a loving, romantic relationship, and that's the goal of our lives. In fact, Paul is saying, look, I'd love if a lot of you could be like me. And now that was written at a time when there was heaps of persecution and the church was very small and getting attacked by all kinds of sides. And so Paul was trying to pull and hold people back from heartache. But even in that state, Paul isn't putting up marriage as this grand ideal which everyone must achieve, the grand goal towards which all of life is headed. In fact, even Jesus himself pushes back against this. In Luke, Jesus is being quizzed by the Sadducees, asked about marriage, and Jesus replies to them, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So even when we're thinking about the new heavens and the new earth and the great things that God's going to accomplish through all of us, even in that state, marriage isn't this be-all, end-all toward which all of us are going to be held forever. Look, marriage is wonderful, and I'm not trying to tear it apart. I've been married for five years, and I love it. It's a great gift and I'm so excited to be a part of it. But marriage is not the goal towards which all of us are headed, nor is it the reality of which all of us will attain. And some will be in single and find that very difficult. Some will be single and enjoy that and enjoy that space and calling. And rather than trying to shove everyone into this mold, what, what, what the scriptures are trying to do is help us realize is that maybe romantic relationships aren't the be all and end all of our lives. Maybe sexual gratification isn't what needs to define us as a community. Maybe there's a bigger picture. See, in, in, the, in the New Testament, there's this word, and I've talked about it before, this word called telos. And it's this idea of it's the goal towards which everything is headed. It's this end point, this, this grand image towards which all of us are wanting to become at one stage. And see, when the New Testament talks about us, you and me, and it talks about our telos, our purpose, our movement, our direction, it doesn't talk a whole lot about romantic marriage. In fact, to be honest, you hardly find romantic marriage as we find it in the New Testament. Most of the marriages then were for either economic reasons or as chosen between parents, hardly without the individual's choice or knowledge at all. Marriage is not the be-all, end-all, the telos towards which all of humanity is geared. The New Testament has a much different picture of where we are headed. It's not for romantic gratification or sexual gratification. Instead, the New Testament points us towards Christ. Always, always towards Christ. Paul wrote about marriage and singleness for a very few verses in the New Testament, but the New Testament writers talk about becoming Christ-like and becoming a community that exemplifies the kingdom of God all the time all the time. And that is the whole goal towards which we are headed. All of scripture is pushing us towards this one place, which is living as Christ calls us to live in the communities that Christ has placed us in. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because it means for those who are single amongst our community, they are not living a second best life. For those who are single amongst us here, you're not living the tier two, the plan B for which God has you in. You're not a lesser Christian. God doesn't have less for you because you're not in a married relationship. Instead, God has plans and purposes for you just as he does for those of us who are committed 
marriages and relationships. All of us are pointing towards this grand hope of being a community united in Christ. And what's so great about the whole New Testament is that it's bringing together people who are so different. And in bringing these different people together, we find the richness and the vibrancy of Christ in our communities. In fact, even in the New Testament, James's command to care for the widows and the orphans is a blatant command to care for those who are single and for those who are single and don't necessarily have the families or the romantic relationships to be at home to find a place of belonging in the church community. In fact, where do you think it was that slaves or, or widows or those who were single found so much life and vibrancy in the church? It was in that small home group setting in the New Testament where they were welcomed in their full uniqueness in the full gifts that God has given them to partake and live as God has called them to live amongst us. Without the singles fully participating in our community, we are hindering what God wants to do amongst us. And as long as we project a world where marriage is tier one and singleness is tier two, we're feeding into a social system that doesn't reflect in the scriptures. Instead, God calls us to be that body of Christ, bound and unified together in all of our differences. So what does that mean for here, for us tonight? For those of you who are single and who have been so for a long time and perhaps you've been hurt by the way the church has talked about you. Maybe you've been hurt by the way we've portrayed marriage or the, the ideals of romantic relationships. Perhaps the church has fed too much into a system that more reflects the world's values than God's. If that is you, can, can I say that we're sorry? Can I apologize if you felt made to be less than when you're here with us? If you feel like we've trampled upon your story or put words in your mouth of your own experience to try and project our own happiness onto you, our own ideals onto you, saying you'll never experience God's love unless you're married like us. If that's been your experience and you felt that from the church, can I just apologize and say I'm so sorry? Because no one of you, no one of any of us will have the same story. No, none of us in marriage will have the same experience of marriage. Some marriages will be wonderful. Some will be very difficult. Some here who are single will enjoy it. And some here who are single will hate it. And we don't want to project your life onto you. Instead, as a church community, can I say that you here are welcome among us. That you have a place of belonging as who you are. And that who you are in Christ is enough and that we long to see all that Christ has put in you come to fruition here among us. And now for those of us who are married, can I encourage us to step out of our married worlds a little bit? It's really easy for couples just to hang out with other couples to talk about couple stories and, and couple things. And when you have dinner, you think, oh, who could we invite? Oh, there's that great couple we could invite over. Could I encourage us to step out of that? and begin to think about how we can get to know and interact with people who are different from us, perhaps those amongst us who are single, widowed, divorced, separated. Perhaps we could invite them over to our tables. Not so we can, you know, like patronize and be like, oh, poor single person, we'll take you in and love you. 
That, that's horribly patronizing. No, we don't want to do that at all. Instead, it's to do it because we realize that we are not complete unless we are getting that viewpoint, that experience of life amongst us. Those who are single have so much to teach us about what it means to follow Jesus, about what it means to serve one another, what it means to follow his call day by day, and we need that with us in order to be all who God has called us to be. And if I can invite the band out, we're just going to finish with one more song. But can I give out one last appeal for those of us here in this church? The whole world is constantly focused around sexual expression and romantic relationships. It's hard to find a movie or a TV show without that as one of the key plot points. It gets thrown in our faces day after day after day after day after day. It's the ideal that we all want to go for. It's that Cinderella story that we hope to attain. It's that way that we find that sexual freedom and fulfillment. It's always push, 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 push. Maybe we as a church can be a bit of a countercultural community. A community that says your relationship status does not define who you are. It's not the sum total of your experience. And instead, could we be a radical countercultural community that builds relationships with both coupled and singles, and together walking that journey, showing the vibrancy of the kingdom of God amongst us in all the different ways that we experience following Jesus? And let us be a place where we find those intimate, meaningful relationships that we all need, whether that be in a marriage or whether that just be among friends, colleagues, coworkers, brothers, and sisters. Let's embody a different sort of gospel, a different world, a different community, one which values everyone for who they are and for who God has made them to be. Let's stand as we pray and sing. Jesus, we all come to you from different places. Some of us come here having been married for years and years and years. Some of us come here engaged. Some of us come here dating. Some of us come here widowed. Some of us come here divorced. Some of us come here separated. There's a wide diversity of our experiences here before you tonight. But Lord, I thank you that you see each and every one of us. You know each and every one of our journeys and you call each and every one of us by name. And Lord, I thank you that you are knitting us together here into a community of very different people, all walking a journey towards you. Christ, our goal our telos, the one in whose image we are all being made. God, I pray that you would meet with, your, meet with us here tonight. Lord, for those who may have found this journey incredibly lonely and difficult, God, would your love and your presence come upon them. For those for whom this journey has been a, a cause of hopelessness and anxiety and fear, God, would your peace come upon them? Would you let them know 
you are with them and that you have not left them alone, but that you have called a community to engage and relate to them. You've called us, the church, to open up our arms and say, you have a place here with us. You have a place here with us. And we long to know you and journey with you. Lord, help us to be listening and understanding of all the different walks that we come from. Because we want to be made more like you. And that only happens when we all come together. From all of our different vantage points, from all of our different journeys, we come together into one place and say, God, make yourself known amongst us. Bind us together in those intimate life-giving relationships where we are known and fully known, where we can know one another and encourage one another. Help us to form those bonds amongst us that no one here would be lonely, that no one here would be left out, but each person can bring their full story with to you with praise and thanksgiving. Make us into that community. Make us into that family. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>